and we've been talking about faith for the last few weeks, and the goal of this series has been to help us all, or give us all a better understanding of what faith is, where it comes from, and how we grow in it. Faith is one of the most vital pieces of a Christian's life when it comes to following Christ. The, the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Uh, so, so that means that all of us must have faith. Another portion of scripture says that the just shall live by faith. That means you're going to live by faith one way or another. You can choose to or circumstances in your life are going to require you to. Make sense? So all of us need to know what it is to walk by faith, to live by faith, to talk faith, to see faith, to live that faith out. Amen? And we all need to learn how to grow our faith. Uh, I said in week one, it took a little bit of faith for you to get saved. Your first time required some faith for you to trust in a Jesus you've never met with an eternity that you're not there yet. Right? But from there, that was not your stopping point. That was not where you were supposed to end. That was actually just the beginning. That was the starting line, not the finish line. And so for every one of us, we're, we're expected to continue to grow. When I read the scriptures, the scriptures are screaming at me, grow your faith, grow your faith, grow your faith. And so that's what this series has been about. In week two, I, I preached on walking faith and how we need to how when we walk with God, when we walk in obedience with God and consistently in a relationship with him, our faith begins to grow. There's many different ways your faith can grow. One of the most common ways, and I'll share the verse here a little bit later, is by getting into God's word. God's word will grow your faith. Another way to grow your faith is to walk with God, which means this, means to live your life in pace with his and not try to expect him to live his life in pace with yours. And when you do that, and when you begin to walk in obedience, you begin to discover the character and the nature of God, and that itself will grow your faith. Amen? Amen. And so today's message is titled, Open Your Eyes. And I want to talk about seeing today. There's a lot of things to look at these days. Would you agree? Uh, it, it was, I, I think, the better days of no TV that were before us were probably more peaceful days. People spent more time in front of each other instead of TVs and devices. How many of you would agree with that? Because there's a whole lot to look at, and you don't know what's true. You don't know what's not true. You don't know what's a half-truth, right? I, I don't watch the news personally. The only news I watch is the weather, and they don't even get that right. What amazes me is that Channel 3 can, have, can give you an app that says there's 60% chance of rain today, and when you watch the weather this morning, there's 0% chance of rain, and it's sunny and clear. And I go, how do you do that? But that's the only news I watch, and the reason is, is because, honestly, I'm just not that interested. Because you don't know what's true all the time. And the other side of that is if you listen to too much of it, it begins to change how you see and what you see. So it can make your faith walk even harder if you're not careful what you're watching. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we live by faith and not by sight. That's going to be the key verse for this message this morning. I would encourage you to memorize that verse. That's the kind of verse that will go with you the rest of your life. We live by faith and not by sight. The writer is saying that you live by faith 
you don't live by sight. What is faith? Faith is the confidence in that what you're hoping for will happen with the assurance of what you can't see. That's faith. Faith is, faith is what you can't see. Right? So Paul also says that you will live by faith and not by sight. Because if you live by sight, you live differently than if you live by faith. I learned something. I don't want you to think I figured this out on my own. I know you guys know I'm educated and <clears throat> highly learned. Uh, but I did a little research. I am a learner. Uh, in, a, in anatomy, you learn that because of the shape of the lenses of your eyes, whenever we look at something, the image we see is turned upside down before it hits our retina. Then once it hits our retina, this image of, of whatever you're looking at is upside. So all of you would be upside down right now, hanging from the chair. Just to help you out. The image is then translated and transmitted through millions of optic nerve fibers to our brains. To which then the brain takes it and interprets it and then flips it back over on its right side. So now you're all back down sitting in your chair like you're supposed to be. You see? Yeah, you see upside down. Because we are uniquely designed, our brains figure out very early and quickly that the upside down image is not the way things really are. We learn to interpret the images as right side up. So watch this. Even in your most natural form, you're interpreting what you see already. Chew on that for a minute. The image your, your eyes first catch is an inverted image. And then in milliseconds, when it comes into your eyes, it flips right back up and your brain interprets it the right way it's supposed to be. So already you're interpreting what you see. We learn to interpret these things as they should be. We learn to adjust what our eyes see and not let our eyes adjust what we see. <clears throat> if this is true in our natural bodies, how much more true is it in the spiritual world or our spiritual lives? How much more do we need to interpret what we're seeing instead of just looking at it? So how do we interpret what we see? I want to show you this morning through the life of Elisha how to interpret what you, what you see. The title of the message is Open Your Eyes. I want to give you Elisha's example. This is the story in 2 Kings where many of you have heard this portion of the story. It's the story where one of his servants is chopping wood and the, the head of the axe flies off and it lands in the river. And Elijah says, where did it fall? And he, he pointed and, and Elijah threw a stick or he had him throw a stick and then the axe head floated, the Bible says. It's one of those crazy how many of you've heard that story okay read your bible they got some of the craziest stories in the bible the axe head the, the the metal the solid metal floated and the guy recovered his axe head y'all are missing out <clears throat> but this is that story and i'm not going to talk about that story this is in the same chapter elijah is now an advisor to the king of israel and so the king of Israel, every time he would make plans to go to war or defend the country, he would make his plans and then he would go to Elijah and he would say, hey, listen, this is what we're getting ready to do. And then Elisha would hear from God and Elisha would say no. And then Elijah would tweak his plan some according to God's purpose. And Israel was victorious, 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 and always had the advantage on, their, on the enemies. 
So there was a king in Aram, and he was frustrated because he could never get an edge up on the Israelites. And he's like, why is it that every time we say we're going to do this or we're going to go there, they're already there before us? And one of his advisors said, because they have Elisha. And so the, the, the king of Aram's army sent a great army with many chariots and horses to the, surround the city where Elisha was. They found him. And so we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6. I would encourage you to read this. You're missing out. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 to 17. Watch what it says. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha's servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. So I had this image of this guy going outside. And it's in the morning. And he's probably still foggy in the eyes. And he opens the door. And there's chariots and horses and warriors all around them. You don't need coffee after that. Right? (laughs) Community ain't going to help you. It's too late. (laughs) He says, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. Don't be afraid, Elijah told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Wow! The man that couldn't see went outside and saw what he saw in the natural and freaked out. But the man of God who could see into the spiritual things walked outside. He, it doesn't even say he walked outside. He may have just been inside. I don't know. But he just automatically says, oh, there's more on our side than there is on theirs. And you go, wow. That's faith, Right? Because one's freaking out over what he can't see, and the other one's cool, calm, and collected by what most people can't see. <laughs> one's freaking out over what he can't see, and the other one's cool, calm, and collected by what most people can't see. There's a difference maker between you and the world. It's usually what they can't see, but what you've been given the ability to see. Amen. Am I in the right church? He said, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Then the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Not the movie. What a, I had this thought immediately when I read this, read this story again. I had this thought. What a blessing to be able to see spiritual things. What a blessing. What a blessing when it seems like the world is coming against you, but you can see beyond that. What a blessing. What a blessing to not have to freak out anymore. What a blessing to not have to be anxious and all worried and scared to death anymore. (laughs) The difference maker is that Elijah could see the spiritual realities, but the servant could only see the natural realities. The servant's eyes had to be opened to be able to see. You see, what's funny 
is you can be in close proximity with people that can see the spiritual things, but yet still be blind as a bat. Proximity is not doing you any favors. One day you're going to have to get past the proximity and grow into being able to see for yourself. Amen. This is called my responsibility. Say that with me. Say my responsibility is to grow to see. Proximity is not enough. We have to grow beyond being around people who can see to someone who can see for yourself. Because here's the truth. The people that you hang out with that can see the spiritual things, they usually don't go home with you. And you need to see us home at home just as well as you need to see anywhere else. Amen. So Elijah, I love his, his first response. I mean, just right off the hip. Think about it. The servant goes, oh, no, they're all around us. I just see like an old man kind of thing. You know, like a wise old man. You ever get around a wise old man and nothing surprises him? And it doesn't say Elijah's age at the time, but he just, like a, like a wise old man, Elijah just goes, there's more on our side than there is theirs. I go, wow. Doesn't that sound like confidence? Doesn't that sound like faith? Isn't that pretty bold? Well, aren't you going to come see all the warriors in the yard? No, I don't need to see them. There's more on our side than there is on theirs. There's a verse in the New Testament that would give you hope for that happening today. It's in Romans 8.31. A little promise to hang on to, something you need to have seated deep down in your heart. It says this, what shall we say about such things as these? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, the truth is, is anybody can be against you, but they're not going to win. So how do we open our eyes? I want to give you four thoughts this morning on how to open your eyes. I want you to become aware of a few things. Point number one or thought number one is this. You need to be aware that not everything you see is truth. Not everything you see is truth. Let me explain. Elijah didn't come outside and he didn't respond to the servant by saying they didn't exist. He didn't tell the servant, oh, you're seeing things, right? What did the servant say? The servant said what was true. What was true? There was chariots and horses and men all outside of the door of of the house ready to come in and take Elijah captive. He spoke the true. He he spoke what was true. There was an army outside. Elijah didn't come outside and say, oh, no, there ain't no army. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because some people think that faith is, is just denying what's in front of you. When you stub your toe, does it hurt? You can say it don't hurt all you want to, but it's going to hurt until it quit hurting. Right? It's true. There was an army outside, but it wasn't the truth. He only saw in part. He did not see the whole picture. 
His servants saw what was true, but Elijah saw the truth, the whole picture. So not everything that you see is truth. Elijah had such faith in God that he could see the whole picture. He never said the army wasn't there. Having faith is not denying what is in front of you. It's seeing beyond the natural things to the whole truth. It's seeing the bigger picture. It's seeing that God's still doing something, that God's up to something, that what you see right here in front of you may not be the whole truth. Philippians 4.19 gives us a promise if you're running low on cash. If you don't have any money in your checking account, you're what? Broke. Say it. Don't, don't be scared. Broke. You broke. What's, the, what's true? I'm broke. What's the truth? Philippians 4.19 is the truth. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's the whole truth. I might not have any money right now, but my, my dependence is not on my checking account. My dependence is on God and his glorious riches. Amen. So we don't go around acting like we're not broke. But we don't go around poor mouthing either because my daddy's got plenty of money. He's going to supply all of my needs according to his riches. <laughs> I think that's the coolest thing in the world because I get to to dip into his account and not my own. You ought to be excited about that. I just got a raise. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus is giving you everything that you need. What a way to live. We think the best way to live is to have a million dollars in the savings account. Though it would be nice. I wonder how much our dependence would be on God then. I ain't gonna lie, I'd like to find out. <laughs> Come on, somebody just being real. <laughs> Anybody got a million? <laughs> I just want to see if my faith is good. I just want to see if I'm still gonna depend on God. Not everything. That you see is truth. It may be true, but it doesn't mean that it's truth. Uh, you got to get this this morning. It may be true, but it, it does not mean that it is your truth. Number two, second thought. Let his word govern your sight. Let his word govern your sight. What does it mean to govern? It means to rule, control, command, lead, dominate. Let his word govern your sight. Psalms 119.105 says this. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The word word in that verse is translated or it has a, a bigger meaning. It means both his written word, your Bible, let your Bible Guide your life, let it light your path, and it also means his spoken word, which, which is the word that he speaks to you now. Okay, 
you got this word, and then you got the right now word. Making sense? God speaks. Okay. Shake your head if you understand that. Okay, God speaks to us today. <laughs> so so the, the verse says that your word, written and spoken, is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. If I don't have his word, I'm walking in darkness. If I don't have his word, I start to trip. <laughs> and something, I'm going to say it. If I don't have his word, I can't see. This word helped me to hear the right now word. Because it helped me to recognize who was speaking to me because there's a lot of people speaking to me. So, oh, you're one of those pastors. I don't always talk back to the voices I hear. (laughs) This word helped me to identify that word. They both shine a light onto my path so that I can walk in darkness and still see. So I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and still see. I can walk and everywhere I go, there's a light on my path. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this. This is governing my life. This, I'm doing what this says. If I don't do what this says, then I walk away from the light. I, I let this govern my sight. A Christian that does not read their Bible is weak. That's the nicest way I can say it. You don't read it to get head knowledge. You read it to get a better knowledge in your heart to have a greater experience with him. We're not building theologians. We're building Christians, followers. We grow from God's word. Elisha grew. Every time God would give him uh, something for the, the Israelite army, a different strategy, every time he heard God's voice, he would grow. His faith would grow. Every time he had an experience with God, it would grow. We grow from God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you have a shortage of faith, you have a shortage of word. Will a big smile help? Come on, y'all. Let's get serious. If you have a shortage of faith, you have a shortage of word, both written and spoken. What do you do with a shortage? You get more. Right? You go after it more. You, you, you commit to do things that you haven't been doing before. What, what, am I doing? what do we do? Take five minutes of your day. Start with five minutes and open the Bible and start reading in the New Testament. If you go to Numbers, you're going to quit by tomorrow. Unless you're like my buddy Doug, he loves Deuteronomy. If you have a shortage of faith, you probably have a shortage of word. Is that making sense? Number three, keep your sight clear. This is a big one. Um, Of course, they're all big, but. 
to too many Christians today, and I've, I've been guilty of this myself, are letting things cloud our vision. We're letting things come in that cloud our sight. I'm going to give you three things that can cloud your sight. The first one is sin. Sin can cause blurred vision. When we choose to sin, we open ourselves to the enemy and then to a battle to get back to clear thinking. Let me, let me give you something you may not know. God is not freaked out about your sin. You got to remember, God's been dealing with sin since the garden. Your sin's not necessarily hurting God as much as it's hurting you. And in turn, when sin hurts you, that's what hurts God. Sin is jacking you up. It's not jacking God up. It's messy. It's blurring your vision. Here's the problem with sin is the minute I sin, I open the door for the enemy to come in and attack like all get out. And he comes after me full force. And now all of a sudden I'm in this battle I should not be in fighting things I shouldn't be fighting. Guilt, shame, filthiness, condemnation. All of a sudden, I mean, it will come on you like right now. And so what happens? You can't see. You can't see clearly. Why? Because you're fighting guilt. You're fighting shame. You're fighting condemnation. You're fighting, oh, I'm so dirty. I'm useless. You're fighting so hard you can't see what's true or truth. The reason I know God's not freaked out about your sin is because he gave you another way out. First John, he said, if you if you will confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you and then cleanse you from all all of your unrighteousness. So watch this. The longer it takes from you to sin, to confess is how long you've decided to stay in a crazy battle. Ah. You get to determine how long you feel dirty. You get to determine how long you feel condemned and guilty and shamed. How long you want to be there. It's up to you. God made a way for us. But pastor, isn't that taking advantage of God? If it was taking advantage of God, he would have never put it in place. Don't let the enemy twist your thinking. Here's the reality. The, The quicker I get to confession, the more I don't want to sin anymore. Because I realize he is so faithful. It's those times when you just keep coming back and you keep falling and you keep coming back and you fall and you come back again. And he's faithful. He's right there every time ready to forgive you, ready to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then the amazing part is that he takes you and he sets you back on a rock and you're restored and you're going time and time again. And then you start to realize this grand difference between God and sin. And then you start going, I don't want to hang out with sin anymore. Sin will cloud your vision. You live in confusion as long as you allow the enemy to keep you guilty and dirty. Number two, materialism can steal your focus. We can get so busy chasing money and things that we can't, (laughs) I can't believe I wrote that. (laughs) We can get so busy, (laughs) 
chasing money and things that we can become a Sunday only Christian. The only time you got God, you got time for God is on Sunday mornings. And that's only two times a month for the average family, by the way. Materialism can steal your focus. Watch what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse 21. He says, no one say no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both of them. If you're waiting tables at Rockies, you can't wait tables at DC's at the same time. You got to choose one of them to work for, right? If you're going to serve God, you got to serve God and not serve money. Well, that's, uh, that means I don't have to go to work. No, you go to work, but you don't let work become your God and the thing that you serve. You hearing me? It's, 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 I got to quit serving money. What does that mean? It means everything I do, all my effort, energy, time, abilities, talents, whatever I got goes to earning things so that I can buy more things. And then in turn, I despise God. It says you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You see that happening in your life right now. Is materialism stealing your focus? You see, I think when you're so caught up in materialism that you forget that God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And then you start trying to supply all your need according to your riches in your glory. And then you end up burnt out, wasted, ain't got time for nobody, missing out on all the joys of life, all the goodness of God, because you're so busy chasing something you don't need to be chasing. You're devoted to the one and you're now despising the other. It'll usually show up when there's something going on at the church. Just one way to identify it. It usually shows up when there's something going on at the church, like we're going to do an outreach. And you find yourself thinking, golly, man. Oh, God, go out and do this. You're despising the other. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I've done it. It's a fight, it's a struggle. I've never said it's easy to walk by faith. And I hope I didn't make it sound like it's easy to walk by faith. I just want to make it sound like it's possible. My struggle every day is to walk by faith and not by sight. Because there's a lot to look at. Amen. Here's the third one. Unforgiveness can cloud your vision because it's a trap. We can choose not to forgive. And when we do so, we choose to stay in a trap. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person, it hurts us. Forgiveness is a big deal. We spend, in our Freedom Life groups, we spend two weeks on the topic of forgiveness. It's, it's a heavy issue, it's a deep issue. And most people have had or are having an issue with forgiveness. And it could be for others, but a lot of times it's for ourselves. 
<laughs> Some of you can forgive others quicker than you can forgive yourself. And now you're holding yourself in a trap for you. So three things that keep your sight clear is when you stay away from sin, when you don't let materialism govern your life, and when you learn to forgive. Here's my last thought. Keep your eyes open. Keep them open. First thought was not everything that you see is truth. Second thought, let his word govern your sight. Third thought, keep your sight clear. The last thought is keep your eyes open. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Peter says this. He says, stay alert. Exclamation mark. Stay alert. Okay. Are you so busy with everything else that you can't even stay alert to what's going on around you? Are you so wrapped up in everything that you're doing that you're not even aware of what's going on around you? Can you not even discern that your kids may be walking through something? Can you not even discern that your spouse may be going through something? Can you not even discern that you're coming under attack? Peter says to stay alert. Why does Peter say stay alert? Because Peter was under attack one time. Jesus said, brother, you're going to deny me three times. Uh Uh-uh. What happened? He didn't stay alert. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's saying, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Now, listen to me. I'm not one that's going to try to give the devil a whole lot of glory, but I'm also not one of those guys that's going to so much not talk about him that you're not even aware that he's there. If Peter says he's a great enemy, then by God, he's a great enemy. He is the enemy of your soul, and you need to know who your enemy is. Any great general would make a strategy to go to war, but he would also study who his enemy was so that he could make a better strategy. Okay, now I'm not saying go chase the devil and get into demonology and all those kinds of things. What I'm saying is, is stay alert, be aware, and watch out for him. Because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Keep your eyes open. Don't look down. I understand now raising a family and my youngest one's about to be 16. I understand that the enemy is always looking for a crack. He's always looking for a crack to get into my family and to cause division. He gets in through selfishness. He gets in through feeling sorry for ourselves. He gets in when we're not watching and we slip off into things we don't need to slip off into. He's coming. If he can't get me directly, he's coming between me and my wife. If he can't get between me and my wife, then he's coming between us and the kids. And if he can't get between us and the kids, he's coming between the kids themselves. He's always looking for a crack. 
Peter says to stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. You got to be able to see spiritual things to stand strong. And then he says this, and I thought this is the pretty cool part of the verse. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. You know, it's just like the enemy to tell you you're the only one. You're the only one that's got some issues. You're the only one that's going through hurt and pain right now. You're the only one that needs help. You're the only one in the whole wide world that is having this issue. Say shut up. Shut up. 